All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Leadosophy. You're here with an open mind because that is the rule and not the exception. Glad you can join me. Today's episode is about the leadership expert. Who is the leadership expert? How do we identify this person? Are they wearing a belt, the title leadership expert? Is it on their name tag, leadership expert? Do they just come out and tell you that they are a expert and expert in leadership? And do we just take that at face value? Is it the professor of leadership studies? Is it the successful CEO and how do we define success? Number of followers, reluctant, willing, financial success, growth of the organization, size of the organization, and the CEO who leads that organization, does that by definition make them successful? And we got a little Harvard Business Review article to touch on today about leadership expertise. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining me. Your time is valuable. I understand that. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution. You are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the leadership expert. We're trying to identify this person. Who is he or she? You know, I, after going through the Gonzaga Leadership Program, there are a lot of professors with a wealth of knowledge on leadership studies, leadership theory. And cruising the internet yesterday, I was looking at different fields of study, and there's a lot of historian experts, and a lot of these, uh, a lot of these people are scholars, and they're experts in their field, whether it's anthropology or history or philosophy, philosophy of mind, philosophy, philosophy of literature, whatever it is. There are a lot of experts, or their their title is expert. People see them as experts in their particular field. So when I started, I was reading some some book reviews, leadership book reviews. That's how I got down this rabbit hole of what is a leadership expert. I was on Amazon, and there were some reviews written for a couple leadership books, and they were like, this person, this CEO is a leadership expert. And I just started asking questions and I wasn't really questioning what they were saying, but I was just thinking to myself, what makes up a leadership expert? We don't even have a universal definition of leadership yet. And leadership inherently is dealing with the dynamics of human relationships. Every day you deal with somebody the same, their state of mind might be different. And then when you're dealing with people on large scales groups of people, scores of people. There's so much that go go there's so much that goes into each single interaction in the community in the workplace. I find it really hard to think there's an actual expert on the practical side of leadership because there's so many variable variables that you cannot account for day in and day out in the world of leadership. You're kind of, you know, you lead 
based on a certain theory of human behavior, how you people are going, how you think people are going to respond to what you say, what you do. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of wild cards that you can't account for in the world of leadership. There's a lot of, again, there's a lot of unknowns that you just you have no idea. So how do how do you become an expert on the practitioner side of leadership? I think maybe more difficult than on the theoretical side. So again, going back to to scholarly work in leadership, I think, and my wife and I had this conversation. I was actually on the phone with her yesterday, and I asked this question. I said, Jess, what makes a person a leadership expert? And she had a very interesting answer, and I want to have her back on the show to talk about that because she went straight to the theoretical side of leadership and not the practical side, which I kind of thought she was going to do the complete 180 but she shocked me man I was I was I wasn't prepared for that so I, I listened for a couple minutes and she talked about it and she why the reason the main reason she brought up that the leadership expert would come more from the theoretical side is because that person might be removed from the from the battlefield of leadership being in the heat of leadership leading people men, women, following in the heat of battle. The leadership expert being removed from that, which and I th- my, my first instinct is to think of a, of a scholar, being removed can that can maybe look at leadership holistically, more objectively. You know, I think about the Bernard Bass book that I bring up frequently in, on leadosophy, 1,200 pages, pages of leadership studies, theory, all kinds of, of different things about leadership, history of leadership, where you kind of where it was born from. So I think of Bernard Bass, maybe he is the leadership expert or was a leadership expert in his time and a lot, a lot of other scholars that follow in those footsteps. So so from a practical standpoint, is the success, successful CEO, is he or she a, a leadership expert if they are successful in their business endeavors? And I think that's what this Harvard Business Review article is going to touch upon. It's going to touch upon the practical side. And I'm going to dive into it. The title of the article is The Four Types of Leadership Expertise. Again, the Wayback Machine, this article was written in 2008 by Thomas Stewart. So Thomas Stewart writes, what kind of an expert does a leader have to be? That question has popped up in a couple of recent Harvard Business Review articles. And he goes on to say, an article in March's, this is March of 2008, March's HBR by biographer David McCullough. And if you've never read any David McCullough's books, he's a, he's a brilliant historian. He's written a ton of books on history. Uh, but he's talking about an article um, by bi- biographer David McCullough about the unchanging attributes of great leadership. Quotes military historian Douglas Freeman who said that his work had led him to believe that leadership in war came down to three qualities. You ready for these three qualities? Again, this is from Douglas Freeman, a military historian. Douglas Freeman says that leadership in war came down to these three qualities. Know your stuff, number one. Know your stuff. And the leadosophy thinks of know your stuff as technical competence. You've heard me talk about this very, uh, very often. Know your stuff, number one. Take care of your men and be a man. So obviously this is 
very slanted one way towards men. I don't know how old this these thoughts were from. Maybe this was a couple decades ago. I have no idea. But obviously, to be a uh, very successful on the military side, you don't have to be a man. And you're not just taking care of your men in many cases in the branches of the military. Uh, it's not just exclusively. There's very few fields of or technicians in the military now that are just completely male dominated or just single or wholly male, I guess I would say. But I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to get to the meat and potatoes of this. So the author of this article, Thomas Stewart, talks about know your stuff. And that's where he's, he's going with this, this article. So he goes on to say, if managers have to know, know stuff, quote unquote, what's the stuff they have to know? It seems to me there are four broad domains of expertise. So Thomas Moore is taking off the be a man stuff. He's taking off the know your men stuff. He's just putting that aside and he's talking about expertise. Know your stuff. The number one point he makes, subject matter knowledge, right? Subject matter knowledge, specific subject matter knowledge. The kind that, say, a cardiac surgeon has or, or better have and goes on to talk about Steve Jobs. This is obviously before Steve Jobs passed away. So what do you think about that, friends? Subject matter knowledge, again, leadosophy has harped upon technical competence. But I bring up a caveat to technical competence because I was thinking about the inspirational leaders in the political world. And I'm not necessarily talking about today's political world, but think about the inspiring political leaders who live on the word of rhetoric, who live on rhetoric, right? They may not, they've been, maybe, maybe they've been a career politician. Maybe that's their technical competence, career politician, but people see them as great leaders or they admire them as great leaders. Maybe not so much for their technical competence, but but because they are great rhetoricians and they say things that people like to hear and they can rally the masses around some ideas, whether it's, free health care for all, or whatever the, the political movement of the time might be, maybe that person is seen as a great leader. So that's a kind of the caveat to technical competence. I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. Maybe it's not complete technical competence, which enhances your ability to be a great leader. Maybe there's some rhetoric involved. But anyways, we digress. We go to number two about know your stuff. The author writes, broad and deep knowledge of a field that confers the right to coordinate the work of others. You see this kind of expertise possessed by Joe Torre. Again, Joe Torre, no longer a manager. Baseball manager for the Yankees. Great manager for the Yankees. So a depth of knowledge of a field that confers the right to coordinate the work of others. So baseball coaches are known as managers, right? They manage a lot of moving parts. Again, I don't... I don't see this as necessarily managing the people. It's managing the processes and all the nuts and bolts that go into what they do. Managing the scenario when you have runners on scoring base or on scoring position in baseball or on the football field. Uh, managing the clock. You have a certain amount of time left in the game. You're managing that part of the game. Their knowledge of being able to do that. And you can take the same analogy for any sport. It doesn't have to be football or baseball or American-dominated sports, cricket, whatever it is. The great managers or great leaders 
are see are seen because of their ability to manage certain aspects of of that area that they deal in. Number three, the author writes, knowledge of the outside world. This enables a leader to confront people with truths to which they have been blind, perhaps because their expertise is narrow or inward focused. So what do you think about that? Knowledge of the outside world. I think that goes with just life in general. The more life experience you have, uh, the more you're able to maybe make better decisions or you're more equipped to make better decisions. And I think, you know, from back in my Coast Guard days, you know, after being in the Coast Guard or being in the search and rescue business for 15, 16, 17 years, I often may have been in better positions to say, hey, this is probably not the best course of action. I've seen this fail in the past. Not only have I seen this fail in the past, I've seen this fail multiple times. Multiple people have tried this along the way. It's never worked. Uh, Let's go this direction, right? But there's a flip side to that. I think you can be so immersed or know your field so well or have so much knowledge of this world that you're in that if you've seen it long enough, it's like driving down the highway for eight, 10 hours on a long road trip. Eventually you start to zone out and you may miss things. You may miss your exit. You start to miss things over a long span of time because you've been immersed in it for so long. So I always valued the input and I still do. I always value the, the input of people who have fresh eyes on any field of work, scope of work, project, whatever it is, because they may see things that I, I miss or I just take for granted. And that was really true in, in the, towards the end of my Coast Guard career. I would be very upfront with people, uh, especially new people who showed up to my unit when I was in New York and, and Ohio and a couple other units. I would be open with, with new people when they, when they showed up. I would say, hey, I know you're new to the Coast Guard. However, there's a lot of us that have been in this in this field for a very long time. We tend we know what we're doing for the most part, but however, we may miss things. We may think that this is the best way to do in business because we've been doing it for so long that uh, we still need to be open to, to other ways. People bring in new ideas and new ideas, fresh ideas sometimes can can shatter the status quo, which is a lot of times, a very good thing. Okay, the last one, the author brings up number four, political expertise, which we often call people skills, the ability to read a situation, infer motives, and find the hidden passageway leading to a deal. This is a little abstract for me. I do, I, I think people skills is real. Emotional intelligence. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think, I don't think this makes you a leadership expert. I mean, how many people are on the practical side? How many human beings are truly experts in people skills? Come on, we're all human. We're all fallible. We all get emotional. We all experience sadness, rage, all of those emotions in between. We all, especially in a leadership role, we all have times where we don't listen where we think we have the best idea, we don't like to be told to be told we were wrong or, or our idea sucks, right? We're all human. 
so I don't necessarily believe in, and we can be practical experts in people skills. I think some people are better than others on a trend line over time. But again, even the people on that trend line who might be on the right side of the bell curve, I guess we'd use a bell curve on the right side of the bell curve being expert people skills, if you want to call it, which I don't even like calling it that. And on the left side of the bell curve, the terrible people skills just treat people like human garbage. Even the people on the right side of the bell curve are going to have bad days. I mean, let's be honest. That's just going to happen. So number four, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little lukewarm on, if, if not a little chilly on. I'm not a huge fan of that political expertise. I think there is something to be said in an organization. The higher you go up, you have to be able to play the political game. And I don't mean a political spectrum game as far as politics goes. I'm talking being able to navigate sticky, sticky bureaucratic problems. You know, sometimes your boss's boss's boss doesn't like to be told he or she is wrong. How do you navigate that political theater when you know that person is making a terrible decision or is telling you to do something or your people something that is absolutely horrific? It's going to get them hurt. It's going to lower morale. How do you navigate that political arena? I think there is a certain savviness that you gain over time and some people are better than others at it. Some people are just the bull in the china shop, man. They're just like, I'm not trying to make any political favors here. If this is the wrong move, I'm just going to tell this person this is a terrible idea. And they just don't care. And sometimes that's effective. Sometimes that's effective. I always say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. However, sometimes the squeaky wheel can get replaced. So think about that. Do you want the grease? And if you're super squeaky, be careful or beware the dangers of getting replaced. So that's the article, the HBR article written in 2008 by Thomas A. Stewart. Let's find out what Thomas Stewart. He was the editor. He was an editor of Harvard Business Review. I don't know if he still is. Thomas, interesting article. Thanks for probing the thoughts of leadosophy today with the leadership expert. I still don't know. I still don't know if... I can identify a leadership expert if I saw one on the street. What if Jill came up to me and said, hey, I'm a leadership expert. Do I take Jill at face value? I don't know. What are, what are the qualifications? What are the characteristics? That's kind of what we talked about today. I don't, I don't propose to say that we have any more answers. Beware the charlatans, the ones sailing, selling some leadership snake oil. That's who I'm always fearful of, skeptical of. Leadosophy is, this is nowhere near the realm of, of any type of leadership expertise. I just want to end this episode with that. Leadosophy, again, I say this over and over and over again. Leadosophy is, it's a quest. It's a quest for deeper understanding of leadership. That's all we're trying to do here. It's a quest. Hope you can join it. Thanks for watching today's episode of Leadosophy. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought. I think we did that here today. A little philosophical, asking some questions, reflecting a little bit. The tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and of life and of life. Thanks for watching today's episode. We'll see you next time. 
Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.